1: At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I am the man sick with the slang, sick in a
0: What's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world? I would like to welcome you back to the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. On today's episode, I have got on not just one, but two fantastic guests, two very, very smart guys. These are the co authors of the new book, The Uncommunist Manifesto. And this is Mark Moss and Alex Svetsky. Welcome to the show. Sub Zuby.
2: Thanks, Zuby. Always love hanging out and talking with you.
0: Likewise, man. Great to see you both. So Mark, I know you've been on my show before. Alex, I've been on your podcast, but this is your first time on Real Talk with Zuby. So if you can both just introduce yourselves to the audience, tell them a little bit about you and what it is that each of you does.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'll go first. I mean, I've just been uh, I've been a a lifelong investor, career investor. Um, For the last seven years, I've been kind of creating content around markets, financial markets, um, and really kind of breaking down the differences why they're breaking down most of my content is is based around Bitcoin. um, And then kind of along the theme of fix the money, fix the world. And so looking at broken incentives, um, things like that. Um, And so just trying to kind of figure out why the heck things are so messed up, how we navigate them, and more importantly, how we get through this and, and uh, have have hope on the other side of that so that's kind of what we focus on and of course uh now writing books i guess as well
3: You say that with so much passion. I'm writing books. Uh, God damn it! it. Uh, I've been talking a lot.
2: I just got back. I just got back late last night. I was speaking out in Miami, so doing a lot of, lot of, lot of teaching, a lot of talking. Um, It's the first time I've put together. uh, Alex will introduce himself. He's a writer. Uh, It's kind of my first foray into publishing something, so a little bit new for me. uh, But anyway, yeah, jump in, Alex.
3: Yeah. um, So I'm sort of more lifelong entrepreneur more than anything else. So ever since I. Uh, dropped out of university at like 18, 19 years old, sort of self-made, made money, lost money, made money, lost money. And it, it was kind of in 2016, where I fell down the the Bitcoin rabbit hole and found something that I found really interesting f- f- across all sorts of dimensions, the philosophy angle, the economics angle. Uh, i'm i've I've always been really interested in anthropology and history, so you know I've just found so many things. and the more it's um the more it sucked me in, the more it's uh, got me interested in all of these wide ranging topics. So as I've dug into those, I've always written in private. And in 2016, I started a blog and I just started writing about entrepreneurship and Bitcoin. And you can kind of see the history of my blog. It started really heavy entrepreneurship and then went into Bitcoin and then went into kind of like radical Bitcoin and then, you know, went into like these days people, you know, (laughs) kind of know my writing from, you know, it's kind of like reading something where someone's hitting you over the head with a hammer, basically. (laughs) And um and yeah, so I've kind, of, I've kind of closed the entrepreneurial chapter of my life uh, at the moment, and I'm going to double down on content creation, primarily the, the podcast, which, as you said, you are on with me and, and writing. And yeah, this is, this is the first book, hopefully one of many. I want to I wanna catch up to you, Zuby. I need a <laughs> awesome. And
0: you guys are both real, like, like very, very strong and passionate advocates for Bitcoin. So two questions and you can answer them simultaneously or each of you could take one. But number one, what is it that drew you into Bitcoin so strongly and what is it that makes you so passionate about it? Because having had private conversations and public conversations with both of you, it's beyond, hey, cool, this is an interesting technology or, hey, cool, you know, I can make some money in a market or something like that. It's a lot deeper. It's a lot more philosophical. It goes, I think, beyond just the mere economics of it. So can you explain that position, especially to someone who's listening to this who's pro- probably heard of Bitcoin but hasn't gone, that, hasn't gone down that rabbit hole? I don't know who I wants to I start. Go yeah, go ahead. Uh,
2: yeah. So, um, you know, for me, I... I grew up uh, in a kind of a conservative home. My parents were very politically um, active, let's say. Um, Politics is still something that's discussed around our table. So I kind of grew up in that. My grandfather, World War II vet. My father's a Vietnam vet. I just figured I'd go to war. That was just kind of the path I was on. Um, So very patriotic, you know, very tuned in to to politics. Um, As a kid growing up in Texas, so you kind of understand how that goes. Um, And so, you know, I kind of grew up that way. Um, I I became an investor right out of uh, high school. Didn't go to college um, and just started... uh, I got right into real estate, started buying, uh, building businesses, had a couple high-value exits, Fortune 500 exits, made a lot of money. I thought I was really smart, and I was pretty good at making money. In 2008, I got completely wiped out, and that's because I didn't understand that there was this whole financial system that had this control over my life that I had no control over, and I had no visibility to it, and it uh, – Uh, Out of sight, out of mind doesn't work. Like the ostrich can put its head in the sand, but it still gets eaten. And that's what happened to me. I wasn't paying attention to that. And so after that, after 2008 happened, um, I I basically got wiped out. I had to kind of rebuild myself. I got very disillusioned with the system once I started digging in to understand what was going on. This fiat money system that these central bankers use to create booms and busts. They pump money in, the markets boom. They suck the money back out. The markets bust, and they have this control over our lives, getting us sucked in, making us lose all our money. They buy it all cheap, you know, pump it back up, et cetera. So I learned about this. I became very disillusioned with the system, and I was kind of on a path of just trying to become um, Rambo, a man on his own, a lone wolf, uh, an island, right? Like I'm just gonna go take care of me. I'm not gonna. I don't care about anything else. Uh, I'm not gonna be a freedom fighter. Like I'll just go disappear down in in uh, Central America, surf, and sit on the beach. And it was I was disillusioned because there was no chance to fight back. There was no way we would ever overturn the system that was there. 2015, I was in the process of uh, setting up offshore bank accounts in Panama, moving money out of the country because I wanted to get money out of the banking system. And I took another look at Bitcoin. I was like, well, this is kind of the same thing. I can get money out of the banking system, which is what I was trying to do, so I did. But as I started to dig in a little bit more, I realized, like, we finally have a tool that we can win with we finally have hope because i believe and i'm sure alex agrees we all agree that if we can fix the money we fix the world so if we had like this giant oak tree with like 10,000 leaves and every leaf was a problem that we have in society today at the bottom of that tree sits one at the root sits the money printer that the central banks use to distort everything and there's only one way to defeat that money printer that we have right now and that's bitcoin now i would ask the question if not bitcoin then what but that's what gives me hope and that's why i'm passionate about it i believe that that's the only option we have to change the system that we have i believe it will work Um, And so instead of sitting in a place of fear and despair, I have hope because we actually have a tool to win.
3: I hear that. What about you, Alex? Yeah, for me, as I was listening to Mark, then I was kind of going down the kind of like my memory and thinking about what got me into Bitcoin. And and I think being around it sort of like five, six years now, I, I can probably draw two words. One is responsibility and number two is um, is a word called contrapliant. So I'll explain what that means in a second. But for me, I've started calling Bitcoin uh, responsibility go up technology. So, you know, people always call it number go up technology. But for me, what I find fascinating about Bitcoin is that without getting too metaphysical and philosophical here, but Bitcoin maps to reality uh, in a way that nothing else really does. Like the the three things that we have to work with in a civilization or in reality in life is like we have time, energy, and scarce resources, and they're all kind of fixed quantities in a sense. And and what we do as human beings is we we take the chaos of life um, and those three elements, and we transform them into something of a greater order. And then we and we continually do that. That that's what we do. And there is no in life. There's no rewind button like if you in that process of doing something, if you mess it up, um, you you pay the consequence. Like if you go and, you know, like we were speaking about Jacksonated before, right? If you go to the gym, I'm not going to get fit, right? Like mm. if I want to get fit, I need to go to the gym. Like if if I jump off a cliff, you're not going to die on my behalf. But money and the economic system works in a strange way where the people who are making the mistakes and the people who are doing nothing are effectively leeching uh, wealth and resources from everybody else. Like we've, we've basically detached responsibility and consequence from action. And money is supposed to be the the mechanism via which we measure uh, human action, responsibi- uh, resources, time, energy, and all this sort of stuff. So there's this massive detachment between the metaphysical nature of what money is and the physical nature of reality. And and I think that tether is something to do with consequence and responsibility. So I've always been a big responsibility advocate. Like I moved out of home when I was young. I had nobody help me. I had to figure it all out. And I think that just that responsibility component or that consequence component of, um, of Bitcoin really drew me. And then that other word, which I mentioned, contrapliant, which is a word that I've come across recently, and I don't even know if it's actually a word, like I heard um, some psychologist was talking about it, but I, I guess you can tell what it means is the opposite to compliant. And the way I've tried to define it is, um, is that it's kind of active non-compliance. And, I mean, on the surface, you know, it, kind of defines me in a way because like, I'm very like the word compliance just drives me crazy because I just feel like that's just, you know, what the lemmings and the drones do. And and we've seen a lot of that obviously over the last two years. So it reminds me of that. I think it's a Gandhi saying like civil disobedience is, is a virtue in the face of tyranny, right? Mm-hmm. Like you need to like push back, but it actually contraplates goes even deeper to me is that like, if you look at life and entropy, entropy is this thing this this force that exists in the universe which drives uh, order back towards chaos so like it's disorder um, and it, and and everything seems to be subject to entropy the only thing we know of that seems to go counter to entropy is life so in a sense life is defiant of entropy life is contrapliant itself like it doesn't just comply and like you know dissolve into nothingness like life seems to push back against um, this universal force of entropy. So, so mm-hmm. for me, just to, just again, to jump
0: in real quick, when you say entropy, what precisely do you mean there? Because I don't think everyone will be familiar with that term. So, Dis- entropy- disorder.
2: It's yeah. Disorder. If you build a house and you leave it alone for fifty years, it falls apart. It's, it goes yeah. into a state of disorder.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and entropy is kind of like a physical. I mean, it's it's basically the primary physical law of uh, the universe is that yeah, every, everything trends towards uh, disorder, and, and it seems to me from all sorts of, you know, study and research and everything that life is the only thing that seems to counter entropy. Um, and and whether you want to call that force of life, you know, God or goodness or the universe or consciousness or intelligence, whatever whatever name we want to give it, it seems to do that. And and Bitcoin is this thing that embodies contrapliance, um, not just as a um, as a you know finger to the establishment. But it seems to be this thing that is alive because it takes disorder and chaos and turns it into this time chain, which is ordered and everything. So I don't know there's, there's a lot of stuff, but to me, yeah, if I had to boil it down to those two words, responsibility and contrapliant, like they're kind of two words that I'm trying to structure my life around. And I don't know of anything that embodies those elements, you know, more than Bitcoin does.
0: Mm, that's such an interesting perspective because I think it's. As I said before, it's way deeper than what most people would think of if they think of or hear about Bitcoin. I think the typical view is either that it's a uh, it's a scam and it's fake internet magic money, or that it's a uh, it, it's like a slot machine, right? You you, you
3: put money in, um, number goes up, you yeah, that, all that or. Back out hedge against inflation you know like the the Mm -hmm. basic the narratives that float around but yeah it's it's like when you when you sort of get bitten by the bug you start to realize it's so much more because like money fundamentally is the most important human technology like and 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 i don't think that this is where you know breedlove's done a fantastic job with his um with his podcast asking that specific question what is money and you know when you really start to dig into that you realize Mm -hmm. money is so much more profound than the toilet paper that the government prints and tells you is money right like Mm -hmm. Fundamentally speaking, money is like, it's, it's the language of value. It is the language of action. It is the language of time, energy, resources. Like that is fundamentally like, it, it's the most important communication medium. Like you don't have like, we as human beings are a social creature. And the way we manage uh, social interactions at scale is by somehow codifying our time and energy. And Bitcoin is like perfect in that sense. And yeah, anyway. Before I yeah. go on, a extra. I mean, just,
2: just to kind of put a bow on that. I mean, it's um to to the to the question you're asking, Zuby, is that the problem that we see, you see, all the time is that people don't take the time to think through these things, like understand what they really are. People are very quick to grab onto a headline or a soundbite, but they don't take the time to kind of break that down and understand it. And of course, back to what Alex is saying, is money is so. Um, is so deep that most people haven't really taken the time to think about what money is it's like a dollar in my pocket Uh, but to to the point alex makes they don't really understand the importance and how that works and how it organizes people and how it allows us to specialize our labor and um, manage scarce resources and all these things and so they haven't taken the time to really understand that so then they can't think about how it distorts and causes all the problems that we have kind of going back to what i said and so most people to your point they just think hey can i get rich they don't understand why life keeps getting harder for them. They don't understand why they have to work more hours than they used to. They don't understand why their quality of life's going down. Um, it's, a, it's a deep question. I mean, to mm-hmm. um, to dig into these things, you, you have to spend some time.
0: Yeah, most definitely. And I love what you said about responsibility as well, because as I've said many times, uh, both publicly and in private conversations, I think in the modern Western world, in our respective countries, I think the crux of a lot of problems is the denial of personal responsibility and accountability. Totally. This goes across virtually every, every social, cultural, political issue. And one of the biggest problems is that when people refuse to take personal responsibility or deny it, not only do they themselves individually potentially suffer, but also the you give more and more room for the state, the government to to step in and play daddy and play mommy mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. create more and more and more rules. As we've said in the past two and a half years, c- cover your face, do this, stay at, mm-hmm. Stay. Literally, they grounded people. Stay stay at home. Don't go outside. Don't, <laughs> yeah. you, you can't see your friends. You You can't see your family. You can't do this. You must take this. You must do that. It was. You know, I think on our side, we were simply saying, hey, like, let people, like, be free. You know, we, we, we've we had diseases around. Uh, people have their own family situations, their own individual situations. Not everybody's at equal risk, so on and so forth. Also, I actually trust human beings that we're not going around trying to kill each other. I, I've generally mm-hmm. lived my whole life believing that no one is going to intentionally try to infect me with a disease. If I choose to go out, you know what? I might catch a cold. I might get a flu occasionally. Just because I'm around a lot of people, and hey, that just happens right if you if you're in a car all the time, every time you get in a car or even on public transport, you accept there's a minute there's a very very small risk that something could go wrong there's a tiny chance of an accident or something if you're so scared that you never want to get you know there's people who won't get in a plane. I actually yeah. know people who won't drive uh because they're you know they they're afraid of getting in an accident, and it's like you know I, I support that right, but you're going to be limiting your own life. So I think it's so interesting that you brought up that responsibility factor because it's something I see people permanently, just just constantly running away from and denying. And a big part of my own message is trying to encourage people to take that responsibility. Yeah, I think...
2: I was going to say, think about that just for a second. So um, I was listening to uh, Preston Pish talking last night, and he was looking at the, the financial situation that we're in today versus the one that we were in in the 40s, which a lot of people compare the situation we're going into in the 40s. And then in the 40s, we had food rationing and things like that. And um, they were asking him, like, do you, do you think this thing is different than it was back then? And his answer was this time is going to be way different because the people – the culture is different. So back then in the 40s, the people had just come through the Great Depression, and they were all responsible for themselves. They took care of their food. They rationed themselves. They knew they had to save. They knew they had to work harder. But today, the culture is different. Where well, now everyone's like, hey, I need a stimmy for my gas, and I need a stimmy for my, my kids. And so the culture has completely changed. And so then you ask yourself, why has the culture changed so much? And then I would say, well, um, in a a business, I know uh, we're all business people here. Alex is really good with uh, company and culture and things like that. So in a business, you create culture. So it's like an attitude in the company. And it's typically set by the person at the top. So we'd say like the the fish stinks from the head down. So the person at the top sets the culture. And we had the, the United States, we had founding fathers that sacrificed their lives for future people. We had immigrants come to this country, sacrifice their lives for their future generations. But today at the top, we have people who only think for themselves. All they're trying to do is make themselves rich. All they can do is think about that next decision. And I believe it's all because of the money system. And so they're all trying to make themselves rich. It's all about the money. The fiat system enables that. So um, back to this situation of why have people lost this responsibility? How do we get back to it? Well money fixes that.
3: (laughs) Yeah. I think I just wanted to add to um, the responsibility piece uh, to to both of what Zuby and Mark said is the um, we've had this uh, infantilization of humanity, right? Like instead of a maturity um, and and like maturity and responsibility go hand in hand, right? You, You know, you're like, there's this, I think it's Jordan Peterson who said this, like, you know, you're an adult when no one else can tell you what to do, like, or no one else can make the decision for you, right? Like, it's when you when you grow up, you're now responsible, and when you make the wrong decision, like, it's mommy and daddy ain't gonna come and clean it up for you. And and what we've had, as you said, zuby is that we've had we've basically been infantilizing humanity by slowly, by slowly removing agency from people. And you know that there's multiple reasons. I mean, I, I'm a big. um critic of the idea of democracy i think when you um when you give everybody the ability to have a say across what everybody else does um you create this uh lack of responsibility because you know you're not you're not you know the, the state becomes more responsible for you but you've got your hand somehow in everyone else's pocket and it kind of like Eliminates the line of uh, private property, and it, it it does all sorts of stuff. So so without getting into the the democracy rabbit hole, basically, you know we've had those kind of uh, social political institutions infect humanity, and then the the money side of things is how can you expect someone to be responsible when they don't have any savings? Like in order to to be responsible, is you need to save, and like savings has. Pierre Rochard talks a lot about this is like, it's the cornerstone of a civilization. Like in the same way as we've been able to build civilization or or at least literature civilizationally over the, over the centuries, over the millennia is because we can write something, we can record it. And then we can uh, know that knowledge. Imagine if every time we die, like all of the knowledge dies with us, society will never progress. Savings is the same thing is like you build something, you create some order out of the chaos you you that is a form of savings is a form of capital which you can pass on and then we build on top of that that's how you actually build a civilization and when you erode all of the savings what happens is society must go back and it must actually rip out the capital that you've built so to quote alan farrington is like we're strip mining all of the capital out of civilization today and this always happens like this you know might tie into the book now is like communism always comes about towards the end like sort of like peak prosperity peak entitlement peak lack of responsibility um and what happens is you've got these people who like grew up entitled you know thinking about rights instead of responsibility right that's the other Mm -hmm. side of the ledger and what they do is they actually Suck all of the wealth out of the, the system, thinking that it's just, you know, it, it comes from somewhere, not knowing that it's been built over the last couple thousand years. Like we've actually built this damn foundation, but there's no more production, there's no more flow coming in. So they're just stripping the stock um, until you erode it to the point where it collapses. And, you know, we've seen that with every single communist experiment. Um, every time you eliminate private property and you destroy the money, and you homogenize uh society it falls apart um and you know here we are again so so i think that responsibility piece is really important and, and it ties perfectly i think into a big part of why we wrote the book
0: yeah absolutely and i want to get into why you wrote that book in a in a second i just had a thought as you were saying those things and something i found for honestly for i've, I've actually thought about this since i was was a teenager And I've noticed that not just in one country, but in many, many countries, there are two very obvious subjects which are largely lacking from the curriculum, both at the school level and the university level. And these are two things that every single person has to deal with, no matter what job they go into and no matter what they do in life. Number one, money and finances right just how what that first question what is money uh how how does it work how is it connected to labor um how does the actual financial system work what what even are taxes what does apr mean what does apy mean what's a mortgage just just money basic financial literacy you, you don't learn it in school you don't learn it in university not in the uk not in the usa um alex
3: you're originally from australia I don't know if it's Yep. Yep, yep. Yep. No, yeah, it, is, okay. it is not. I mean, it is like the, the, I mean, they do some basic financial literacy, but I mean, it's okay. like, you know, how to put your money in the bank. Yeah. Not much. Right. Like- and then the second topic is uh,
0: the Jackson Nation, right? The health, health, nutrition and exercise again, a very, very basic level. And, but, and it's a little wrong mostly. Yeah. But I mean, you'll, you'll meet people uh, who are 30 years plus and, they don't understand even very, very basics of nutrition. Now, I'm not saying everyone needs to be an exercise expert, a nutrition expert, but you should know that if you consume more calories than you burn on a consistent basis, you will, you will gain weight. And if you want to lose weight, you need to in, in, invert that. And but it can't that- be that easy. <laughs> <No>.
2: <laughs> you spend more money than you make and save. The same yes, thing. then
0: you'll then you'll go into debt. And it's mind blowing how millions of people don't even understand that very basic concept. And I'm of the belief that that's not a mistake. I, I don't think that that can just be an error and an omission. I mean, we learn about photosynthesis, we learn about uh, a triceratops and a brontosaurus. We learn about, <laughs> in school, we, we, I mean, tri- trigonometry, you know, Pythagoras. Some you know some of these concepts might be useful if you're going into certain areas, but I know a bunch of stuff that I learned from school, which I, I don't know at what point in my life I, I'm ever going to use that. And then there's stuff that's very very valuable, which I didn't really start learning and diving into until I was in my early mid or even late late twenties in certain cases, and and that's just because I myself chose to you know what i don't really understand this topic well let me go let me go and really learn about it right people don't learn what what is compound interest right people know nothing about it most people don't invest cuz they don't even know how to they don't know what it means they they have no knowledge compound interest you explain it to people and they're like wow i've never i've never thought of that before and it's just like wow is that uh is that intentional? But coming to okay, to answer, jump to in. answer
2: that real quick, uh, Henry Ford ha- has a quote about a hundred years ago. He said that if the American people knew how the banking system worked, there'd be a revolution before the morning. Now that was a hundred years ago. Imagine how much worse it is today. So to answer your own question, is it intentional or not? Well, he told you a hundred years ago <laughs> if they knew. Imagine today. So uh, maybe maybe put that into perspective.
3: Well, maybe today they're just not. <laughs> It's not the same kind of people. So their revolution is let's just watch Netflix.
2: Here, here's one other thing I would throw back at that is that the people shouldn't really need to know all of this is so complicated and all man-made and all made up so they can enrich themselves the average person shouldn't need to care and so the way it works is that um, uh, I eat calories calories are energy for my body I expend energy that's my life right and so I go put that into the world and then I my excess energy I put out into the world I need to be able to save that energy that's in my money and that money should be able to buy me more goods and services in the future the problem is the financial system that they have engineered today makes my money my energy buy me less goods and Service in the future. So it's now forced me to become part-time brain surgeon trying to save the world and part-time investor. Now, the average retail person wasn't involved in the stock market before the 70s. Most people didn't care about that. Mm. But because our money is losing its value so fast, we're forced to become um, an investor, to your point. We don't learn about compound interest. We don't learn about we, we shouldn't need to. Mm. I should be the best brain surgeon, the best cancer researcher, the best whatever I am, and use all my brain capacity because we need specialization. That's how the world advances. I shouldn't. I shouldn't have to be a part-time investor. My money should hold its value. Mm-hmm. And if we had a sound money system, none, nobody would need to learn about this, and nobody would care about this.
0: Mm-hmm. When you say the, a sound money system, what does what does that specifically mean?
3: The go cool. mark if you if I, if I can jump in so so i just yeah. want to I'll, I'll answer zuby's question and just cap off what you said it's like th- there's a there's this epiphany i had a little while ago and i'm sure this has got to be a quote somewhere but it's like that which is um simple is often not easy um and you know that which is um uh i oh, maybe i'm butchering this but basically it's like the the, conf- the, the confusion between simple and easy right it's like The world is like mired in complexity. And as Mark was alluding to, there is like people are being forced. Like I I remember when this really, really dawned on me. I was with my mom at a cafe about four years ago. And, you know, she's just a really hard worker, Um, you know, immigrant, came to Australia She's she's not skilled in any way in the sense of like, you know, she's she doesn't have a trade or a or like some sort of scientific skill or anything. She came as a as an immigrant from a ex-communist country and just basically worked in factories all her life and then you know, checkout person, this and that. And anyway, she's just diligent and she works hard and she saves. And I remember her sitting there at this cafe and she's like, I've saved up a bunch of money. She's like, but she's looking at me and I could see the the thing like in her eyes. She's like, like looking for help. She's like, I don't know what to do with it. She's like, I don't, I, I don't want to put it in the bank because like, I'm not a, you know, it's not doing anything. And, you know, I'm scared like, you know, that tomorrow something will happen. She's like, um, you know, my, my brother's a moron, you know, sitting there gambling on the stock market all the time. She's like, you know, your brother's telling me to like give him all the money and he's going to make the money. But last time we gave him money, he lost it. She's like, I, I don't know what to do. And I was like sitting there and I remember it was kind of like early-ish on in my Bitcoin journey, like two, three years. And like, it just dawned on me. I was like, holy shit, man. Like people need to, people need to simply be able to save. Like Mark said, like, you know, the, the, the simpler it is, Mm. the more robust the system can be, but we've created all of this complexity that basically skews people towards, um, either becoming part-time investors. So they basically become gamblers. They shouldn't be investing in the first place or because they can't function at that game. They become consumers. Mm -hmm. And those who are prudent enough, they still try and save, but they get decimated because their savings after working their ass off for 10 years are worth less. It's like it's complete criminality. So it drives me crazy. So anyway, I kind of um, I just wanted to make the difference, the differentiation there between like simple and easy. Having a sound money system is very simple. Um, It is like have a fixed amount of money. Money maps directly to time and energy. Uh, it is immutable and irreversible. And you have something then that, you know, f- from, a, from an individual perspective, your goal is to, as Mark said, you're you taking calories, you perform work, you add excess value to the market, and then you store it, the product of your labor in a unit that you can use later. And then as the collective productive capacity of civilization increases, the purchasing power of each unit of money also increases so now your savings actually acts like an etf on humanity like your savings will actually increase over time and that is a really important thing because then people over time are able to not just maintain their wealth but their the wealth that they've saved actually buys more so so that's actually a sign of civilizational progress and that's where you get on a sound money standard because you make like making savings great again right like that's mm-hmm. that's what we need to focus on and um and and again we've just inverted things like on, on what kind of backwards planet does do things get more expensive like for something to get more expensive implies that you're worse at doing it and that you're less efficient and less effective like that is not the way things are supposed to happen as we get more advanced as we as we specialize more as we get more competent the price of things comes down like mm, it's mm. that th- shouldn't happen that way. And and here we are like fighting, you know, on this treadmill because all of the political and central banking shenanigans that happened that distort everything downstream. So yeah, you take
2: that philosophical answer and put it into something more tangible. So here's a cup of coffee, 1970. This cup of coffee was 10 cents mm-hmm. today. This cup of coffee is three or four bucks. Don't you think with all the technology supply chains, Planes, boats—we have today. It should be cheaper and easier to get the coffee bean from Columbia to my cup of coffee. The cup of coffee should have gone from ten cents to three cents or two mm-hmm. cents, not from ten cents to three or four bucks.
0: Yeah, and yeah, I was just thinking. Um, I'll I'll tell you guys another, another interesting one, and I'm sure it'll be similar with uh with with your parents, let alone grandparents. But um, when my when my dad, my dad's a medical doctor. Um, when my dad first came to the UK as a doctor, so, you know, above average salary, his annual salary was four thousand pounds a year. It's about six thousand dollars at the time. Annual salary as a medical doctor in the UK in the 70s. And he often tells me a story of a a house. Him and my mom wanted to buy the house, not the deposit. The house was fifteen thousand pounds and they couldn't afford it.
2: Plus three times times annual labor.
0: Yeah, exactly. And now that number is, I think, about 11 or 12 times the annual labor. So I think this is also a point that a lot of people, I think, across the whole political aisle, from actual leftists to conservatives to libertarians and everything in the middle – I think analyzing some of this diagnosis, I think this is something people do get right, right? You'll, you'll hear a lot of people, especially on the, on the left side of the aisle saying, well, you know, it used to cost this much to do this and now it costs this much. And, you know, these young people, you can't get on the housing ladder. I mean, it's not hard to understand why so many young people are like turning into socialists and communists and are, are not fans of capitalism because when they think of capitalism, they're thinking of this bastardized form of what we've got. So I can actually empathize with a lot of what they're saying, right? Oftentimes, the, the solution, um, or even some parts of the diagnosis, I, I, I don't believe are correct. And I think some of the so- proposed solutions are actually going to make things worse. But I think it's, it's a fair point that to be a 30 year old or even a 40 year old and to buy a house or to just save money, it shouldn't be that you need to be a financial expert or you know you shouldn't need to be Warren Buffett or a genius at the markets in order to simply put away enough money to buy yourself a, a property or to feel comfortable to to get married and bring children into the world and so on
3: totally yeah, it's um yeah. It's messed up actually funny. Uh, you, you've met Paloma. She's uh, So since I've orange pilled her and got her into this, she wrote her first Bitcoin article the other week and it's going to be published on Bitcoin magazine. She's all happy, but she talks about how like, um, you know, the fiat system has uh, eroded the, the family because now traditionally the man was able to go out. And as you said, like three years of labor, provide a house. Now it's impossible. So now like both men and women have to work. Um, they have no time for each other. They have no time for a relationship. The, the nuclear family falls apart. Like it creates all of these knock-on effects. And I guess, you know, as you said, the sometimes, and I mean, this is a problem of society and messy things and, and lack of deep thinking, right? Is like sometimes you can identify the problems and the symptoms of the problems, and that's what a lot of these political uh, people do, whether they're on the left side of the aisle, the right side of the aisle, or whatever. They they can see the problem. Um, some of them can even articulate elements of the problem well, um, but none of them, or very few of them, seem to either have I don't know whether it's the the curiosity, the cognitive capacity, the courage, um, or the integrity to to dig into and actually point at the cause. And and what often happens. And I mean, th- this is a big part of why we're in uh, this kind of situation at the moment is that the solution to the problem is more of what created the problem in the first place. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Like, So yeah. like, we, we got it here in the first place, because we started redistributing wealth from productive people to nonproductive. And, you know, and the people doing that were the bureaucrats in the middle. So they leached all of the um, productive capacity. And you know, you end up with a net less amount of wealth for everybody um so what do we do let's create more laws so that more of that can happen um and, and it's it's completely mindless which um i mean you know which goes this back is- to
2: responsibility since they have totally. no responsibility they continue to double down on totally. insane yeah. policies mm-hmm. because there's no accountability for the poor policy decisions they've already made no uh, doubt, perfect example. Oh, anyway, we can go into millions of examples. <laughs> we, don't, we, don't, we don't. need to do that.
0: <laughs> no doubt. Um. So obviously, your book. Anyone who sees that title, "The Uncommunist Manifesto," they know that that's obviously based off of uh, Karl Marx's is it Marx and Engels, yeah, the Communist Manifesto. Um. So. Tell me a little bit about the process that led to the creation of this book, because I'm assuming you started out with the Communist Manifesto. Yeah, yeah so
3: out. the um, the I guess the, the process is uh Mark and I were in Salvador and you know, we were talking about like he's like, man, have you read the Communist Manifesto? <laughs> I was Like, I was like, ah, oh, you know what? I actually haven't. You know, I gotta, I gotta get around to reading that. I've read some like excerpts from Marx and everything. I was like, it's really dumb, but I haven't actually read that. He's like, man, it's so bad. <laughs> it's like, it's like this short book, but
2: it's really bad. <laughs> it's like we should. I was we like, should... if, anybody, if anybody ever read this, there's no way they would go along with those ideas. Yeah. <laughs>
3: and I was like, okay, yeah, maybe I should read this. And he kind of floated the ideas. Like, you know, m- maybe we should write a book that kind of flips it on its head. And anyway, that was kind of like in July of 2021. And we just kind of like left it there, didn't really pursue it. And then, um, yeah, we were on a call in like December of 2021. And I was like, man, you know what? We should, we should actually go and write this book. We should – lock ourselves in a room. You know, we were seeing all the Bitcoiners kind of doing these book sprints, like kind of locking themselves into an Airbnb and writing out a book. And I said, you know, let's let's do the same thing. So we kind of booked it in, locked ourselves in a house uh, for a couple of days. We both, um, you know, read the Communist Manifesto and we weren't sure how we were going to do it initially. Like, you know, I, I started like writing rebuttals to uh, Marx's points, uh, you know, one by one. And we we're going to kind of do like a rebuttal thing. And then Mark was like, no, you know, we should kind of like, emulate the process and the form and all this sort of stuff. So anyway, it kind of th- this is the beautiful thing about the creative process, right? And you you would know this particularly yourselves Zuby, is like the you know, sometimes it just emerges. Hold on. I got. I swear there's people dying here every 15 minutes. Um anyway, um yeah, the, the basically through sitting down and like flipping some of the core elements and then turning it into basically a simple discourse. We we basically pulled out four chapters, uh, each which in a sense flips the core idea on its head. So like one of the first ideas that Marx uh, talks about in, in the original Communist Manifesto is that they try and boil down all of human history into the struggle between two classes, oppressor and oppressed. And, you know, we kind of make the point like, well, no, you can't do that because struggle first of all is ever pervasive um there's never just one oppressor and one oppressed um in fact you know you are your own oppressor most days anyway like you know you're, you're struggling against everything you're struggling against your family your friends society another group this group that group you, you can't just like label people by oppressor and oppressed put them in a you know identify them through some sort of group identity um, and then pit them against each other. That's not how it works. So, so we kind of said the real struggle actually is that we human beings are bound by scarce resources, fixed amount of time, and, and a limited amount of energy. The real struggle is: do we do we acquire wealth and do we advance in life through the cooperative means or the coercive means? Mm-hmm. So, and and the cooperative means is the economic means. Do we trade? Um, and do I specialize in something and Mark specializes, or you specialize in something and we measure the product of that labor and we trade somehow and we actually all end up with more or do we do it through the coercive means, which is I come and beat you over the head with it or I create some sort of political machination to extract wealth from you via taxation or whatever. And, um, mm-hmm. and that's been the real struggle and the societies that have managed to be more cooperative as opposed to coercive have prospered for a longer period of time. And that's kind of one of the, the first uh, big points. And I think the second big point, and I'll, I'll let Mark sort of take it from here, but I think the second big epiphany that we had when we are writing the book was just this, this redefinition of capitalism, not as a political system, but as an organic process. And, and the way I kind of like to think about it is sort of what I said earlier, is that uh, Human beings, we naturally we take chaos and we transform it into higher order. And and Sailor and I, we were we were on a podcast um, about a week ago, and we are talking about how like human beings by their nature, we, we're engineers. We 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 fix things. We tinker. We we create. We build. We're artists. We you know we're, we're kind of like this mix of art and science simultaneously. And I think that's a beautiful thing. So when when you look at um, what capitalism is, like capitalism started the first time one of our ancestors picked up a rock and threw it at an animal uh, to save time and energy in acquiring food. Like that was the capitalistic process. He saved time and energy um, and was able to do that. And we have always done this capitalistic process. We, we are always orienting ourselves to try and uh, maximize the efficient and effective use of time, energy and resources. That That is by definition what capitalism is seeking to do. The problem occurs when we wrap that process in all sorts of political modalities and red tape. And the more we suffocate it, the more we basically kill that natural process. So so we make this argument in the book is that capitalism exists all the time. Um, it even exists in communism. It's just known as the black market. It exists in democracies. It's kind of known as like, you know, your Sunday markets. Like, It always exists. It's just how much do we suffocate it through politics and and we we've got this really cool graph in the book which says you know you've got left and right politics which is the spectrum and then we kind of we we tip that spectrum on its side and we kind of drew like a sideways t and we say okay well you know what left and right politics may be opposed to each other but that's on this side of this sideways t and on the other side exists capitalism and you know and the marketplace that is actually not political like you and I can trade irrespective of politics and human beings have done that since the dawn of time. It's when politics get in the way that we, you know, we get in the way of the political, the capitalist process. So anyway, I think that's sort of two of the big takeaways for me. and, um, And I think I've kind of gone off the rails with respect to your original question, but anyway, I'll shut up now, throw it over to Mark.
2: Or if Zuby wants to dig in and ask any questions on any of that.
3: Sure. No, you, you, you go ahead, Mark.
2: I think, uh, you know, to the point, uh, we 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 had this kind of creative process where we tried to decide what angle we should take. So we knew, like I said, if, if somebody read the actual book, how could they actually like this? So Marx says, if I summed up communism in one statement, it would be the abolition of private property. That's communism mm-hmm. in one statement, per Marx. That's his quote. Mm-hmm. Are people okay with that? Because everyone seems to be kind of all bothered by this uh, own nothing and be happy thing. <laughs> Um So... Marxism says it's abolition of private property. So like things like that. The way he talks about the family, the way he talks about women. Like I just can't imagine people okay with that. As we wrestled about how, how we're going to do it, one of the things that I have personally wrestled with is the word capitalism because it seems like it's so misunderstood today. Uh, m- most words are misunderstood today. So everybody has like their own definitions of words. And so one of the things that we did is we spent the first several pages of the book to actually put definitions in so we could all kind of be on the same page as we went through the book. Um, but this capitalism, I have kind of defaulted to start using a word free markets instead, which I think are a little bit more descriptive. And capitalism has like this bad um, you know tone to it, and so Alex is like, no, we need to make capitalism great again, and so like let's dig in and really um, show that. And and to the point he made, it it's not a system, it's not a political system, it's the way the world works. And I have kids, so you see your kids when they're little tiny kids in preschool, and they're already trading. And so to Alex's point, the first capitalism when the guy picked up a rock and threw it at an animal, I would say the first capitalism was just a minute after that, which is now the guy had that dead animal and he sees a guy over there with a fire. And he says, hey, you got a fire, I got an animal. How about we trade? <laughs> I'll <laughs> use your fire, I'll give you some of my animal, and we have a trade. So um, it's uh, we, what we did is we also made like a matrix. And we showed what the definition of capitalism is. And then um, in the original book, he, he had a whole chapter talking about all the different versions of communism. So we had a, book, a chapter about all the different ver- versions of capitalism. So a lot of people think that capitalism led to slavery. Capitalism is colonialism. Right, all these things. And it's like, well, if you understand what the definition of capitalism is, so for example, it recognizes private property rights. Mm-hmm. Second, it's free and voluntary exchange. So if you understand this definition, and we have this matrix, if you understand that, if, if it respects private property rights and it's free and voluntary exchange, does that is that slavery? Because I didn't think slavery recognized free and voluntary exchange, right? Um, Is that colonialism, that respect private property? The the answer, of course, is no. That's
0: what you just said there is actually really interesting because if you think about it for a long time, the way that they got around that was obviously by saying that slaves were not people. So therefore, the voluntary aspect goes out the window. And well, if these human beings are just uh, products or essentially on the same level as, as cattle or chickens, then that goes out the window. So it's 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 very nefarious how they actually managed to get around that until laws changed and people's consciences kicked in and said, "Okay, well, these are these are human beings and need to be treated as such."
2: Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Mm. But even when they went to Africa in the first place, um, you know, through the cowrie um, beads or the slave beads, um, they didn't respect their private property rights. So right off the bat, they violated that. Mm. Um, To your point, um, that was violation of property rights. Anyway, it's a good point that you made. Um, But we we took some time to kind of break that down and show, you know, cronyism or colonialism or whatever. These are not, this is not capitalism. And so capitalism is just organic. It's just emergent. Um, So we did that. And then um, I think at the end, uh, we we talked about, uh, so Karl Marx put uh, the 10 things that he was calling for, for socialism or communism. Um, And we basically took the same 10 points and kind of flipped them. So number five, the creation of a central bank. So we started talking about the money system and the banking system. Um, Nobody knows how the banking system works. We, of course, are are saying that it's a bad system that's meant to steal from us. Um, And it's the core tenant of what Marxism and communism is. The creation of a central bank so of course we say the abolition of a central bank um, so we kind of uh, take that but at the end I think we, we addressed one question that I think was super important for everybody to understand um, and that is what's the appeal mm. if people read read the original book I don't think most people would like it um, it's an idea who now we have a hundred years or more of history to show that it's killed hundreds of millions of people um, why, what's the appeal why do that wasn't we- real that
0: wasn't real communism mark of course yeah
2: if only we had done it better yeah um, and so we have we have we have track record um, what's the appeal so I think we answered that which is a really big question and at the end um, you know we, we definitely have a very positive hopeful, challenging tone that we hope will cause people to rise up and be better versions of themselves
0: mm, that's, that's so interesting um, I, I think one of the main appeals of what I understand of Marx's work, I'll be honest and say I have I've not directly read any of it, but I really I really should just to understand it better. Even if I know I'm I know I'm not going to like it, but I, I think people do like very simple um, ideas and explanations. I think the world is very complex, so I think this is also how people fall into these ideas of obsessions with just labeling and grouping people because it's, it's a simplification process. So if you just view the world as oppressors and oppressed, you know, victors and victims, then that's a, that's a simple and therefore appealing worldview for a certain type of person. Cause it, it sort of clicks and maybe from their own personal experiences or their, you know, their own hardships, they think, oh, of course, right. It's, it's those guys, it's those, it's those people, it's that group. You've seen this done along racial lines, ethnic lines, class lines, political lines, all sorts of you know, gen- gender lines, right? The, the patriarchy, right? It's just it's, it's the patriarchy, right? M- men around the world just have this, this entity called the patriarchy, which, uh, you know, apparently we're all plotting every day, every week <laughs> on how to just keep the boot down on women. So. It's interesting. So I I think people quite like these apparitions and and these sort of very (laughs) simplified ways of viewing things. People do it politically as well. If if we're being honest, you know, when people talk about the left and the right, they make it sound as if across the entire country that there's just these two groups of people. Depending on your side, this one is good and this one is bad and you should support everyone. This one does and oppose everything this one does. And I can really get the appeal because even a lot of you know very, very smart people oftentimes just default to this binary. And I think it's I think it's very tempting and it makes things a lot easier to understand, even if it's a misunderstanding, if you can just think, okay, well, the problem is the left, right? That's the problem. There's this half of the population, and this is what they're doing, and it's terrible, and it's causing all the problems. And we just need my side to win. And then you have the people on the other side just like oh, these 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 right wingers, right? The right is causing all these problems they're a threat to democracy they want to trample on women and trample on minorities and whatever and we just need to vote for our team and it'll get fixed and we there's this ping-pong game it goes back and forth and back and forth and no one as you said is looking at the, doing the diagnosis properly and seeing where the true problem in a lot of these uh, economic social issues lie and as a result, it keeps bouncing back and forth every four years every eight years and things don't really get better in a tangible way
3: yeah i, w- I want to i wanted to as, as you were talking there i thought i should pull up the um <clears throat> the communist manifesto i've got it here on in my book uh sorry in my in my computer and i kind of i've, I've called the communist manifesto the 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 og uh great reset like if if, if i if reincarnation was real. I'm pretty sure Klaus Schwab is Karl Marx reincarnated um, because like they, they just overlap so nicely. But I, I just want to read out the 10 commandments basically of communism. And I just want to see your reactions Zuby. like, you know, just I want to see how they make you feel. Right. Okay. So number one is the abolition of property in land and application of all rents of land to public purposes. So abolition of private property. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I also want you to think about like, How much of this actually exists in so-called modern capitalist states? Number two, a heavy progressive or graduated income tax. Number three, the abolition of all rights of inheritance. Um, So in other words, your parents work all their life. uh, When they die, the state takes everything. You, so get nothing. Um, Number four, the confiscation of the property of all immigrants and rebels. So in other words, I don't like this place. I want to leave. So... You lose everything. Wow. This is this is this is what they think is a good idea. Um, number five: the centralization of credit in the hands of the state by means of a national bank with state capital and exclusive monopoly, i.e., central bank. Mm-hmm. Um, number six: the centralization of the means of communication and transport in the hands of the state. I wonder where I've seen that before. Um, <laughs> everywhere. Um, the extension of factories and instruments of production owned by the state. Um, the so basically the um, this is the, the bringing into cultivation of wastelands and the improvement of the soil generally in accordance with a common plan. So so this one's an interesting one because I can agree with uh, a series of these things. This was obviously very agricultural focused, but the 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 premise there was that um, the state comes in and owns all of the land is, is in charge of a common plan for um, bringing everything into cultivation. Then number eight, equal liability of all to work um, establishment of industrial armies, especially for agriculture. So um, I don't care if you know, you're one person or another, if you have a different uh, goal in life, uh, you must all work um, mm-hmm. and do the same thing. Uh, number nine, Combination of agriculture with manufacturing industries. Um, so the gradual abolition of all distinction between town and country by a more equal distribution of the populace over the country. So you're not allowed to choose where you live. We're going to tell you and we're going to distribute everything by our grand plan. Um, and number 10 is free education for all children in public schools um, so that we can indoctrinate everybody the way we want. So so that's your that's your 10 commandments of um of the communist manifesto. And then when you, when you hear those, like number one, you know, they, 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 I mean, I know me personally, it rubs me the wrong way. Like particularly Mm -hmm. things like I know a big part of why I work so hard is that I want to hand something down to my kids. Yes. Yes. They're going to have to earn it, but I want them to have something so that they can build off like this idea that some monkey bureaucrat in government (laughs) is going to take everything like a we literally said before remember like we build stuff so that we can pass it down so that we can keep building civilization like this is Mm -hmm. the definition of anti-civilization right yeah um like but other than the ones that you know make you angry like you look at these ones particularly number two and five progressive income tax Mm -hmm. and the the um the central bank like we have this in so-called Western capitalist nations. Like we are not living in capitalism. We're living in basically watered down communism Mm that the the whole world is. And a lot of people don't realize this. It's like, and this is why, I mean, unfortunately people just don't read history and they don't read the books um, that came before, you know, they, they walk around with their own communist manifesto, but they haven't read the bloody thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is, we're, we're living through this and we wonder why, like, you know, I mean, the progressive tax has always been one that drives me crazy. It's like, if you want people to to work harder and do more why in the name of Christ would you tax them more the harder they work mm-hmm. like it is completely backwards yeah like and I, I don't know anyway i just wanted to read those out and
0: yeah no that's that's in, that's interesting um i definitely heard some of those before but i don't think i'd ever I read all ten. I, I will read the Communist Manifesto because it's something I, I really should have more knowledge of. the about, the two about, about,
2: about that just real quick. Okay. So the, the original Communist Manifesto is eight thousand words. You can read it in about forty five minutes. Okay. This book ended up about ten thousand words, so maybe it's about an hour read. But we think that you you'd made the case earlier. Um, a lot of these should be easy to to obtain or understand. And so some of the best books written, some of the most powerful books, uh, Rothbard's Anatomy of the State, Bastiat's The Law, Communist Manifesto, they're booklets. And so we didn't want this to be like overwhelming or daunting, where it sits on your coffee table for a year, and one day you'll get to it. Like you could sit down with a cup of coffee and read this in 45 minutes or an hour, the original one or this one as well. But anyway, yeah, sorry.
0: No, all all good. The two things that struck me beyond the sort of like natural emotional recoil and also knowledge of what actually happened when these ideas were fully implemented, and the amount of people who who died as a result. Two things that really struck me are, number one, this. A lot of those things are how a parent deals with a child. It comes back to your point, Alex, about the infantilization, right? If if you think of, you know, if you're a parent and you're raising very young children, not even teenagers or young adults, I mean, yes, you, you you essentially dictate everything, right? They don't they don't make the decisions. They don't have the autonomy. Yes, you are the central bank, right? Bank of mom and dad. You yeah. control everything. They don't choose where they live. You don't even choose what they eat, where they live, anything, right? You, you own it. You are the state in that case. And that works in a relationship between parents and very, very small children. And as those children get older they gain more and more autonomy, responsibility, accountability until the point they can go out in the world and you don't need to be looming. You know, the parent doesn't need to be looming over them, controlling all their actions and still giving them an allowance and telling them what to eat and how to dress. Um, And then the other point that struck me is that it reads as if it's written by someone who just doesn't even have a basic understanding of human nature. Right, no understanding of what really drives and motivates people, um, the the bond pe- people have with their families and with their children, that desire to provide for the next generation, the simple—I mean, you could use the term selfish, but the the selfish desire that people have to—I'm you know, I'm not using selfish in a negative way here—but the the notion that I'm going to work, yeah, self-interest, right? I'm I'm going to work harder mm-hmm. if I get to be rewarded from it. I shouldn't be punished more or have more taken from me the harder I work. And ju- just the fact that obviously that's going to cause people to, you know, the example I'd use is, and I've used this with, uh, cause I I have, I have friends who have done that. Oh, well, you know, communism is a good idea on paper, but you know, it might, be, and I'm like, no, it's not, it's I, I, not don't, I don't give paper, it, that. it's man. not, it's not a good idea on paper. And I often use the example. Okay. Cause this, the people saying this, they're all, you know, university graduates and you've all gone yeah. to school. So I'm like, okay, Let's say you were in a class and no matter, a, and you just averaged out the grades. Okay. So, no matter how hard you work or how little you work, you're going to get the average grade of the class. We're just going to take all the scores, average it out, and that's what you get. How hard would you work?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Right. Yeah. Especially it, over the course of time. Like, what, what do you think would happen? And it clicks for them and they go, Okay, yeah, because you're, you're completely blowing up the incentive structure, right? You don't work hard so that the next person gets uh, a better grade. Like, we, we just don't work like that. Maybe you might think in your brain, oh, it, would, it would, might be nice if that happened. But it's like, no, uh, whether or not you think it's nice, it's, it's not reality. That's not how human beings are
3: yeah there's a there's a classic fable it's called the the uh economist fails sorry the teacher fails the entire economics class which is exactly that example okay. it's like she 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 gets up and she tells everyone okay um you, you're gonna do the test and then she averages out and basically over time and it was a it was a real experiment as far as i understand is that over time um the the average score just continues to plummet right because mm-hmm. everyone's like well why, why should i try as hard someone else will <laughs> um you know, we'll keep the um average up and then basically they go from I think an average of B all the way down to an F basically. Mm-hmm. And and Ayn Rand, you know so beautifully uh weaves this into the narrative in Atlas Shrugged with mm-hmm. the um with the I think it's the 20th Century Motor Co. Well, uh, the 20th Century Motor Company, which is they they get taken over by um the three children of the founder and the three children are basically uh, you know, she she doesn't frame them as this, she, but they're basically raging communists, and they they transform the entire organization into one that uh, operates by the rule of fr- from each according to their ability to, to each according to their need, and that's how everyone's paid, and that's how everything functions. And basically, she she takes you through like almost an entire chapter is kind of the de-evolution of that company and that company was the the heartbeat of this entire little mini town and kind of destroys the town and everything like that it's it is it is so good but yeah as you said it's kind of like it basically devolves civilization into the lowest common denominator Mm -hmm. and and it happens every single time and like you said it's it's not good on paper and it's definitely not good in practice no um there's no there's no justification for it but
0: yeah, and there's also the big question, and we've seen this play out, right? You saw this in the Soviet Union, you saw this in Maoist China, et cetera, is the, okay, how does the state acquire all of this land and power and property? Well, you know, It's in the hands of people. So mm-hmm. you know, how, what, what do you suggest for, how, <laughs> yeah, like how, how do they get their hands on all of this? And uh, as it turns out, that process is genocidal.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's always going to be – socialism will always be violent because there's always going to be some people who don't want to give up their property. And so at that point, it becomes genocidal. Um, you made a very astute observation um, when you said that it sounds like it was written from somebody who doesn't understand – how mm-hmm. people, how relationships work, uh, the importance of family. And so that's exactly uh, correct. And so one of the problems that people have today, no, no critical thinking. And one of the um, things of critical thinking is the first piece of, when you get a piece of information, is who is telling me this? What is their worldview? What is their motivations, et cetera, right? And so Karl Marx himself came from a he, he he wasn't a very good person. He, he came from a very rich family, but he didn't want to go into the family business of uh, being an attorney. He wanted to just write philosophy. Nobody would... Pay him to write philosophy back then. You couldn't get a. You couldn't. You couldn't survive just writing philosophy back then. And he had a family, but he was a horrible father. Uh, One or more of his kids died of malnutrition. He would disappear for long periods of time, leave them alone. Um, He joined all these different communism clubs. People didn't like him. He'd get in fights regularly. Get kicked out regularly. And he was just ultimately, he was miserable, and he was very mad at the world. He was angry at the world that he couldn't survive and provide for his family which he didn't even love or care for and he couldn't provide for them doing what he wanted to do um, and he didn't want to conform to what the world had mm. and so that was the worldview that the person that wrote this had which you picked up on uh, but it's like why would we want to take a worldview from somebody like that and apply that to our world
3: yeah, to, to tack onto that really quickly, um, Jordan Peterson, whenever he criticized Marxist work, he he actually really hones in onto into the the lack of uh, understanding of human psychology. So a, a lot of communism and, and the communist manifesto and dust capital and all of this sort of stuff, it's it's really centered around this fantasy idea that if you just magically remove people's privation, like you give them everything they need and basically what they need is apparently defined by what the communists believe everyone needs. But if you somehow did that, you gave them just enough food, just enough time, just enough rations and just enough of all of that, that apparently everyone will be happy. And, you know, Jordan kind of like decimates that. Cause he's like, well, that that's not how the human psyche works. The, you know, human beings are always striving and, and they're always like he, I think in one of his lectures, Jordan says like, people are looking to keep looking like we're always trying to uh, reach for something. And this reminds me of what we, when we started the discussion off the idea of contrapliant, right? Like we are anti-entropic uh, beings. Like we're looking to go beyond just the baseline because, you know, you, you've kind of got this equation, you've got growth, or you've got death in that which is living. And life is always seeking to expand in some way. And a lot of life's expansion is experimental. A lot of it is, um, you know, attempting something and doing something that is outside of just the norm. And communism seeks to just standardize and sterilize everything because when you standardize and sterilize everything, you can centrally plan it better. And this is why, you know, the modern sort of, quote-unquote globalist agenda is an attempt to try and standardize everything like they make everything a problem so nothing is a problem they make everything hysterical so you know everything seems to be you know completely relative and all the same so the more you standardize and the more you try and transform basically complex human individuals uh, into numbers on a spreadsheet like Mm. again the the whole 2020 was an example of this it's like epidemiology is a complete pseudoscience epidemiology is a scam because you can't like you you cannot go and turn people into just digits on a spreadsheet and extrapolate out how the zombie apocalypse is going to happen because everybody has a different immune system it's fundamentally impossible and yes and and that's that's what all of these kind of centrally planned models attempt to do and communism is just complete central planning that that's just another name for it it's and as you said it's like parents centrally plan the home and you can do that at that scale and the parents have the authority to do that because they gave you life Mm -hmm. but the state neither gave you life nor property nor anything for that matter um and in in a communist sort of
0: and also importantly uh, for an infant or a very young child that is necessary absolutely necessary for their survival
3: 100%. Right. Once
0: you're an adult, you can feed yourself. You can make your own decisions. You're, you're a big boy now. You can look after yourself. If you know a three-year-old, leave them alone for you know 48 hours, and they're 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 going to die. Right. Uh, even a newborn. What you know again might, might, might last a couple of days. Right. They'll 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 go hungry. They can't do anything. They can't even totally. move. They're not even ambulatory. So yeah, I mean, I, I again, I don't. I've talked a lot about the stuff that's happened over the past two and a half years. But that's another thing that I find it so shocking now when people are acting surprised by the fact that there's more mental health problems now Mm when they're acting surprised by the inflation and all these things. It's like, you know, that was the thing that struck me immediately with the so-called lockdowns, really house arrests, right? Mandatory house arrest. It was Mm -hmm. like human beings are social creatures. We're social. We're not, we're not just numbers. We're not widgets. We are social beings. Now I'm not a psychologist. I can't tell you exactly what the precise ramifications will be of locking hundreds of millions or billions of people in their houses essentially for weeks and then months on end but it's not going to be good right of course more people are going to be depressed of course more people will become suicidal of course more people will be deeply deeply unhappy because you're taking away just such a basic human thing i felt the same with the mandatory with the mandatory masking Right. I cannot quantify on paper with mathematics how important it is to see human faces and to be able to see people's expressions and see people smiling, you know, smile at a stranger on the street, all of that stuff. I I can't tell you, but I know it's important just on, on a human level, us being able to see each other's faces, even though we're not in the same room right now, if each of us was wearing a mask that was covering our nose and our mouth and our cheeks and everything, this conversation would lose something. Yeah. Both for us and for anyone who's watching, right? You you, 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 you would lose something because you're saying so. I, I'm like, is he is he smirking? Is he frowning? Is he angry? Is he sad? I, I don't know. I can, as we're talking, I can tell when somebody wants to say something. I can see if like okay, Mark's got something to say because I can just read that. I can read that facial expression, and yeah. all of this was just lost. And everyone was like, "Oh, there's no downside to wearing a mask." And I'm like, "How?" Like you don't understand human beings. There is a downside. Now you might think that downside is is worth it if you think there's an upside. <laughs> there's not, but <laughs> but it's like this. This wasn't even considered. And so to do such an experiment on such a large scale and for so many people to be advocating for it, that was the part that to me was like, oh, like how are people not seeing this? Like this is not central human. planning. Yeah, central
3: planning, man. Central planning. it it, it all hinges around this maniacal attempt and this ties back into keynesian economics for example that is once again central planning it they they all attempt to distill reality into a set of models and when Mm -hmm. stuff doesn't fit the model what's the solution ignore it right Mm -hmm. that's the that's the solution to all central planners so it's like basically you you look at um stalinist russia so they 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 did all this they confiscated the farms people started starving um, and then when people complained about the starvation, do you know what they did? They went and killed them, put them into yep. gulags. Yep. So, so it's like, ignore the problem at all costs. So all say like the, the exact same thing is happening now with central banks, CPI, it's like inflation pops up. So, okay, well, let's just take that out of the measurement of CPI <laughs> like, let's just make it more convenient. So it's yeah. like, ignore reality so like th- they live in this kind of fantasy land and I've, I've got this sort of new saying that I'm trying to like popularize but it's um you know politics attempts to pretend its way into prosperity mm. um, because that that's what they're all doing they're like they close their eyes and they're just like finally I can just like pretend enough it'll all be okay mm. and but that's just not how reality works you can't you can't ignore your way into Um, You know, making the model work like and yeah, that that sort of ties back into why we're Bitcoiners like Bitcoin doesn't pretend anything. Bitcoin just maps directly Mm. and like you make a mistake, you make a poor economic decision, whatever, like it reflects in your score. And, you know, your score in a civilization is, you know, how much wealth you've managed to accumulate for your actions like that. So we're, we're, we're playing a faulty game because we keep pretending because the map and the territory don't, uh, don't overlap. Like we, Mm. have got these completely, this whole series of fake maps that like, you know, the, the, the analogy that I've used in the past is like, imagine you're a, um, you're walking around in the desert, right. And the central planner is like this leader in this tribe walking around in the desert. And his map says that, you know, there's, greenery and beautiful like water and lakes and everywhere. And, you know, the, the people following him are like, uh, there's no water here, dude. And his solution is like, kill that guy. <laughs> the, map, the map says there's water and everyone's dying of thirst, <laughs> but he's like censoring quickly before the rest of the people realize that there is no water here. And th- that's like the world we're living in. It's like, you look around, it's madness. You're like, what are you doing? <laughs>
2: and, And it brings us full circle to where we started the conversation, which is the lack of responsibility. Totally. And so the fiat money system enables these central planners to get around the laws that would typically hold them to responsibility. So...
0: Amen. Man, it's been so great to talk to you guys. You are you are both people individually, let alone combined where I I know we could do a a 3-hour podcast and it would still be interesting. But um in the interest of time, I'm going to need to wrap it up. But where can people check out the new book, The Uncommunist Manifesto? Man, Uncommunist Manifesto
3: so if um depending on when this is released uh we the book will be launching on amazon on the 1st of august so that's the day to keep an eye out for but uh if we've we've actually we got the best domain uncommunist.com i couldn't believe that was uh, available so if uh, if people jump on uncommunist.com if this comes out like a day before or whatever the the actual launch they can pop their email in there and they'll be notified of when it goes live and what what we just asked from people is like look Pirate it, do whatever you want. But if, if you can support the book and if you do buy it, um please leave a review. Cause if we hit that sort of bestsellers list, the the message will spread a little bit further. And 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 we genuinely think like we wrote it so that it's concise, digestible, and easy to read. It's not daunting. As Mark said, it'll take an hour to read. And if people can really take the time to 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 leave a review, that's probably the most important thing, like verified reviews so that Uh assuming they add value, obviously. Don't if you if you think it's a pile of steaming crap, don't don't leave a review. (laughs) Or leave a review, tell us. Um (laughs) but that's that's sort of what we're looking for because um we we genuinely want to get this out. So that's yeah, uncommunist.com. You'll be you'll be notified and it'll be on Amazon on the first of August.
0: Amazing. Alex Svetsky, Mark Moss, thank you so much for joining me on the show. It's been an honor talking to both of you gentlemen. Absolutely. Thank you, brother.
1: sick and of doesn't for fame do for the fame not for the grand stunt me invest in for pain bang. i do
0: not front i do not scam put some respect on my name bang. sick like a bang clicking a bang y'all gonna remember the name bang. y'all gonna remember the name
1: without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running everything would suddenly stop hospitals factories schools and power plants they all depend on you no matter the weather emergency or time of day you're the ones who get it done